Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to another episode of Murder Bucket where we are currently in a series called The Cold Case Road Trip. And if this is your first time joining us, you might not know what The Cold Case Road Trip is. Let me explain. Every week, over the course of 30 episodes, we are covering cold cases from all 50 states, D.C., and five inhabited territories. Tonight, we are on stops 31 and 32 and we will be traveling to American Samoa and Arizona. But first, let's do our week-slash-weekend recap. I mentioned last week that I took some time off from the podcast because I was experiencing some really bad back pain and had a UTI and kidney stones, and thank goodness everything is gone, my back feels better, I can move around, get up and down without having any sort of pain. On Thursday night, my husband's parents came into town from Texas, and they have been spending a lot of time with us and our daughter and hanging out, eating some really good foods. We went to the National Zoo on Friday, which was really fun because that was the first time that we had taken our daughter to the zoo. And then we tried to go to the Edgar Allan Poe Museum on Saturday. But once we got into Baltimore, we found breakfast, got into the parking garage, and we're getting ready to leave the parking garage to go to the museum when my father-in-law got a notification on his phone that the Poe Museum actually had to close because their air conditioning broke. And I believe on Saturday, it was roughly 105 degrees outside. So we ended up just traveling down to Annapolis and walking around downtown a little bit. We went down by the water, went into some shops and got some frozen yogurt. And then we just decided to go home and hang out for a little bit. Then Sunday came and we went to church. Our daughter went into the nursery And then I finally got to play a game of softball, which was great because I hadn't been able to play for the last couple of games, which really bummed me out because I am thoroughly enjoying it. Unfortunately, we did lose, but not by much, only lost by two points. That's okay. We had a really great time. And then Monday was a little chaotic. My office actually opened up to the public for the first time in about 15 months. So we had a lot of trial and errors happening. We had a lot of computer issues, but all in all, it was a pretty okay day. 
And then today is Tuesday. We just got back from having dinner at this place called the Crab Shack here in our area, which my in-laws absolutely love to go to when they come into town. They've got really great seafood. They've got a great atmosphere. My daughter loves everything that she tries there. We love everything that we try there. And it's it's just fantastic. And now we're here. And you and I are hanging out. So let's just go ahead and get started with tonight's episode. Stop 31, American Samoa. Now there was very little information regarding any sort of cold case in American Samoa that I could find on Google. So this portion of the episode is probably going to be very short, and I apologize in advance for that. I found what I could. I did as much research as I could for this. So here you go. Alex Perrick and Anthony Leote were out with their church youth group on August 18th of 2019 at Utamia Beach. They were having a picnic and were swimming. In an article on rnz.co.nz, it states that one of the boys called out for help while swimming and his cousin swam out to help him. Both boys were then swept out to sea by strong currents during the high tide. A Marine patrol vessel and a Coast Guard cutter scoured the sea near the beach and the western end of the island, but once the sun went down, the boy still hadn't been found. Family and friends of the boys gathered at the beach singing hymns and praying. April Perrick, the sister of Alex, spent the night at the beach. On August 19th, divers from the Department of Public Safety did a search of the area. They were also unable to locate the boys. Alex had just recently graduated from Tafuna High School. He was the captain of the football team. On SamoaGlobalNews.com, the coach of the football team shared a story from a game in October of 2018. He said that Alex kneeled to the ground and prayed for an injured teammate after he was helped off the field. He witnessed Alex hug every player on his team and would say, God bless you, I love you. Even though he would coach him on power and performance, he stated that his faith could move mountains and he was never ashamed to share his love for God. Anthony was the second youngest of 10 children and was raised by his aunt and uncle after his mom died during a tsunami in 2009. The boys grew up inseparable. On August 25th, the search was called off, and any further searching of the boys was now entirely up to volunteers. On SamoaNews.com, Alex's mom is quoted as saying, Where man is limited, God is not. I ask that you be strong with me as we continue to pray, hope, and believe that our God will reveal his perfect answer in his perfect timing. I'm not giving up. I'm still praying, still hoping, still believing, still keeping the faith because God is in control. Join us as we wait upon the Lord. While it is more than likely that the boys were swept out to sea and there was no foul play involved, this was the only missing persons case that I could find on Google with any sort of information. 
Tonight's episode is sponsored by Liquid Death Mountain Water. When you get thirsty and stop in at your local gas station or convenience store, you may start noticing that there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section. Or, while you're on a Zoom call for a meeting with work, you notice a coworker enjoying a tall boy bright and early at 8 a.m. and wonder why no one is saying anything. Well, it's actually not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. You might be asking why it's named Liquid Death. That's because it will brutally murder your thirst, and they are infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill the plastic pollution. Plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore. Most plastic you throw into a recycle bin gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle and eventually ends up in the ocean. Aluminum is more profitable for recycling facilities. The can is a gorgeous solid white with this beautiful gold skull on the front. Liquid Death is taking the world's healthiest beverage and making it just as unnecessarily entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, beer, chips, and candy. Drinking water from a freezing cold can is a different type of feeling. Being healthy and looking cool is a huge perk. Walking around the zoo the other day with my family, drinking liquid death sure turned some heads. I know I heard several people ask if we were drinking beer. Imagine what it's like when I crack one open while sitting at my desk at work. Go to liquiddeath.com and get a koozie two-pack on us when you purchase a 12-pack and use the code MURDERBUCKET at checkout. That's liquiddeath.com and enter the code MURDERBUCKET. Get out there and murder your thirst. And we're back. Stop 32, Arizona. 14-year-old Danielle attended church with her five younger siblings on May 23, 1993, in Sun Arizona. She then accompanied her mother, 47-year-old Dorothy, on a walk to the RV Park store on the corner of Highway 191 and 181. This store was located roughly three miles from their home. On the way to the store... They stopped at one of Danielle's older sister's homes to invite her to walk with them. She declined, but invited them back that evening for dinner. They purchased cigarettes and ice cream. They also used the payphone briefly because they did not have a home phone at the time. When they left, they were spotted by friends halfway between the store and their home. This was the last time anyone saw them alive. When they did not return home, John, Dorothy's husband, and Danielle's father called around to other family members and friends. When no one had seen them, he called the police to report them missing. The police began to investigate and use search dogs in the area where they were last seen. The dogs did pick up their scent at the store and then again one and a half miles into their route home. The scent then died. There was no evidence of their whereabouts found. A helicopter was then called in to do a search of the area, but also found nothing. 
John was administered two polygraph tests by police, which he passed. He was then ruled out as a suspect. A Flint, Michigan man was then questioned by police. Some articles state that Dorothy was having an affair with him when he lived in Arizona, and by the time they disappeared, he had moved back to Flint. Police conducted surveillance at his home, but there was no indication that the women had been there. He also told police that he hadn't heard from Dorothy since he moved back. Danny Morris, a neighbor, was interviewed by police, and he stated that he saw the two walk to the store but didn't see them return. In an article on NewsCenterMaine.com, CJ, one of the siblings, states that for years his family and friends conducted physical searches in the desert. They consistently passed out flyers and hung posters over the years. Each year, the family sends out mailings to people in the town, local businesses, and prison facilities. They believe that someone knows something about their mother and sister. John and Dorothy were married for 27 years. Some articles say that between the two of them, they had 12 children, while others state that they had 14. At the time of their disappearance, there were five to six kids, including Danielle, still living at home. The children told police that they don't believe that their mother would have left with another man without telling someone. In 2002, an unidentified person, we will refer to them as UP, called into the police station and stated that the neighbor, Danny Morris, had a young blonde girl being held against her will in his home. UP then told police that two men had picked up the mother and daughter and took them to a property owned by the Morris family. UP stated that they were at the Morris residence that day and saw the two of them, asked who they were, and were told by Danny that Danielle was his girlfriend. Danielle was supposedly kept there for a period of time before she was killed and buried in the basement. I was unable to find any other information to corroborate this story. Dana Pitcher Hills, who was one of the children, was interviewed in 2003 by Ranger News. She is quoted saying, I just do not want the public to forget that my mother and sister have been missing just about 10 years now. I miss my mom and sister very much. In August of 2009, a search warrant was issued for a property in the area of North Moore Road in Elfrida. A cold case investigator with the sheriff's office reviewed the case earlier in the year. He revisited old leads, which led to new ones. The search warrant allocated three days for searches on the property, buildings, and excavation of the land. Dr. Bruce Anderson, a forensic anthropologist, and Professor Ben Sternberg with the University of Arizona were called in to assist. There were roughly 10 volunteer students, sheriff's deputies, detectives, search and rescue volunteers, and volunteers with the sheriff's assist team members who helped. Several items of evidence were located, but because this case is still active, there are no reports of what was found during this search. In an article on KOLD.com, Don Pitcher, 
one of Dorothy's children is quoted saying, Every day is a struggle. Some days you can talk about it. Other days you can't even think about it. It just kills you that much quicker. I knew right away that foul play was the case. I had to grow up very quickly. My father, he couldn't handle this. He really couldn't. Dawn was 20 years old at the time and living in Boston when her mother and sister disappeared. Jim Healy, a neighbor, is quoted in that same article saying, If they find out who is responsible, they need to pay for it. The family deserves that. They really do. Dawn also told a reporter for KGUN9.com that she doesn't believe that she will ever see her mother or sister again, but doesn't believe that they just disappeared. The family doesn't give up hope that they will someday get an ending to this tragic chapter of their lives. The RV Park store closed and a restaurant now sits in its place. Even though it's been over 25 years since they disappeared, a missing persons poster is still hanging on the front door. Dorothy was last seen wearing a white short outfit with a duck design. She was 5 foot 3 and weighed 145 pounds. She did wear glasses and had dentures, but both of those items were left at her home. Danielle was last seen wearing a white shirt or tank top, white shorts, and black boots with fringe. She was 5 foot 1 and weighed 112 pounds. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Danielle or Dorothy Pitcher, please contact the Cochise County Sheriff's Office. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode. Please enjoy this promo from my friend at the Revere True Crime Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you haunting and horrific reveries about missing people and senseless murders. I also interview survivors and people seeking justice for themselves or a loved one. New episodes come out every Monday morning, and sometimes you'll get bonus episodes on Thursdays. Wherever you're listening to this current podcast right now, you can find Reverie True Crime. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at MurdBucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at BucketMurd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day.